0: Welcome to the School of Humanity podcast.
1: You are made in the image and likeness of God.
0: Not only does God long for you, but you are like Him.
1: What does this mean for you?
0: How does it affect your view of God?
1: How does it affect your view of yourself? How
0: does that affect everything? This This is is the School School of of Humanity.
1: humanity. Welcome back to the School of Humanity podcast. This is Jason and Rachel Bowman. This is episode... Forty-seven. Thank you. And it's good to be back with you guys.
0: Yes, it's so good. Um, so tonight we wanted to talk to you um, last week or the first week of November. The first full week of November was uh, Vocations Awareness Week. And we really wanted to talk to you guys about vocations and particularly how it applies to us. Obviously, we can't really give too much credence to the vocations to... We can't give up much of our knowledge, really, to the vocations, to the priesthood, or to religious life, because we have not experienced that ourselves. Right. If you have, you have a lot to explain.
1: There are some things we can say about it. We could say
0: about it, it, but we don't have firsthand knowledge of those things, correct? Very true. So, tonight we really wanted to have like a three-part series that begins tonight about um, vocations, and particularly for us marriage for this first one and then one for parenting and then another on the permanent diaconate
1: yeah which has been the latest development if you will in our walk with the lord and uh what we perceive as what he's calling us to now yeah so it's been a beautiful journey and uh, but it all of course starts with our first vocation to marriage and so we want to begin with talking about the fact that we feel pretty convicted that the reason that our marriage has, in our opinion, I think done pretty well, uh, is the fact that we had had, when you say like we would have had an, had an encounter with Christ before we met each other.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: Okay. So...
0: We've touched before too about that's that's our first vocation. Like if you, if you really had to say, what is your very first vocation? Your first vocation after baptism is a vocation to holiness, right? And so we are all then called to be saints.
1: Yeah, that's what the church refers to as the universal call to holiness. And of and course, so within that,
0: I mean, what? if you're if you're going to live out your vocation. And, and continue to live out in, in it becoming. Because that's another thing. I think we have kind of like an incorrect notion of vocations that, that once you discover that vocation, that's it. Like you've kind of discovered your vocation, that's who you are. But I think that it's it's one of those things that's always becoming. Like you're always becoming right. who you're meant to be. It's
1: a dynamic thing. It's, I think we imagine it to be like, okay, um, now I'm married, so everything is right, and you know my mission is complete. But, right, but it, it's only the beginning, right?
0: Right. So. so it would be it would be only right that if within that first initial vocation of the universal call to holiness, that you would then live in the fullness of that by having an encounter with Christ prior to discovering any other vocation for yourself. Right. It would be also just the the correct posture for your life to be obviously in, in pursuit of him. Because if you're trying to get an answer from him about what your vocation may be or what what his will for you is, um, and, and it's speci- speci- specificity, mm-hmm. wow, well, I can't talk, of marriage or celibate life or religious life or consecrated life. Right, or, right. Um, then you would have to practice hearing him. And it would be really difficult to hear someone that you don't know.
1: Right. It's also hard to give yourself completely to another person in a permanent way when you haven't experienced a love that is permanent first. Right. Right, because, I mean, as created and finite beings, we are contingent, you know, we are dependent by nature, and so there is therefore kind of a lacking in us, in a sense, you know, like we are dependent, so... We have desires, we have longings, we have needs, and those particular needs stem from the fact that we were created to know God and to love Him and to live our whole life, you know, with Him now and forever. And so He has to be the one who first shows us that that. Right. Um, that unending love, which actually is first presented to us by, or should be by our parents, um, which is kind of a beautiful way that God has created us, not, not to Lord over us or, you know, he, he loves us so much that we, he, he raises us up to the point where we are co-creators with him and, and we are in his image and likeness. We, show our children, um, you know, his love. So when
0: you were a kid, did you, I mean, or a teenager, did you imagine yourself that you would be married or was that like without a question for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would like to say that, um, you know, that the concept of vocation was laid out for me specifically, but it, it really wasn't. Um, I mean, of course I grew up in in um catholicism so i mean i saw priests but you know that notion really never struck me so i would say that i think by default yeah i always imagine myself married um unfortunately in the secular society that we live in the question is more like what do you want to be when you grow up (laughs) which is a whole nother talk you know we could talk about how disordered that whole that whole thought is but um but yeah i think i would I always say that, um, I assumed that I would be married, although I didn't feel like, um, a particular desire for, um, being a husband or, or a father, I don't think, at, at a young age. Um, yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting the other
0: day, um, I've kind of started watching, not watching on a regular basis, but I watched the other day, um... What is her name? Jada Pinkett Smith. And, uh, I'm sorry, but she has this thing now, it's called the Red Table Talk.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And she has a red table in her house that she sets up, and she has conversations with people. So, it's very vulnerable conversations. Right. Um I'm not particularly interested in that, but, um, she had Will Smith come on. hmm And he was a part of my, my childhood. Sure. So, I, um was very interested in hearing in hearing their conversation. And a lot of it was really good. There was some of it that wasn't obviously um, what what we espouse. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that he said that was really telling, um, Jada Pinkett Smith's mom asked him, did you think you were going to get married? And he said, as, as a very young child, I always imagined that I would be married. Like I wanted a wife and I wanted children. Right. And I wanted a home with them. Right. Um, and I think for me, I, I mean... I grew up Protestant, so the talk of vocations really wasn't, really wasn't really, there wasn't any talk, you know? Right, So, um, I think I'd imagine myself as being married. Sure. But I definitely went through a period in college where I was like, probably never going to get married. (laughs) Um, Just for various reasons, but, um. Right. Yeah. But I remember meeting you for the first time and I was kind of like, okay.
1: Right. Well, it definitely wasn't until, um, you know, when you, I think for me, it was like I was striving after something. I didn't know what I needed, you know, and it wasn't until like I truly had that deep, that encounter with Christ and that I became free enough to like be okay with who I am in him, you know, um, to like find my identity in the love that he has for me and um you know that's so fulfilling you know when you become when you when you share in his sonship with a father and you realize uh that that is actually what your heart has been longing for i think you you had had that at a much earlier point um yeah at least at a maybe a more basic level or if you Yeah, say, I remember but, um... going to, to a youth group
0: night. Um, a friend of mine had invited me. It was Church of God. And so she had invited me over because there was a guy that she liked or something. Right. So we go in and I remember sitting in the back and it wasn't like I had not been exposed to it. You know, my parents, I was adopted from the Philippines by missionaries. So I had grown up with some sort of Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then... I remember being there and these, these teenagers just loved the Lord, you know? Right. Um, and there, of course, it was very, very Pentecostal. So everybody's down by the altar and, <clears throat> and I was, I was struck <clears throat> not by, I don't think it even was the emotionality of it all, but I think I just looked at them and thought, I want to love like that, or I want to. I want to feel that way. You want to
1: be loved. Right. I
0: want to feel that way about something, you know, and I don't think I had that yet. And so that was the first time that I think that I had finally opened myself up to be loved by Mm -hmm. our
1: beloved. Right. So, so, uh, you know, what do you think happens to people that maybe haven't felt that kind of a love in their life before, and then they try to enter into... A marriage relationship. I mean, I like to describe it as someone trying to show
0: you how to get somewhere, but they've never been there. Right. You know, it would be like you stopping for directions and someone's like, hey, how do I get, how do I get to Disney World? And I'd be like, well, you know, I've heard that it it was, it's like over in that general direction. Here, I'll take you. Right. And then not ever really getting there. And even when I do get there, it's kind of a surprise that I got there, you know? Right. Um. And I'm sure there would be a lot of bad roads that I'd turn on, a lot of bad obstacles that I didn't have to go through, Right. had I. So it's not like you can't enter into marriage without an encounter with God. right? But it is very much like if this is the per- perfect way that the Lord has kind of set out for us. And it's the way that has the, the least amount of congestion not to say that it doesn't because jason and i have been married almost for 10, ten years, years yeah and there's been quite a few but the, the difference is is that does that chaos define you or are you defined by the love of god and so i think that's the biggest difference for us is that we've had a ton of chaos that has come our way but throughout all of it the truth of the matter is is that we are defined only by the love of god And when I forget that I'm defined by that, I have this beautiful and amazing person that tells me that I am defined by the love of God. That's you. (laughs) So, So. you know, one of the things that we've been um, talking about is the personalistic norm. Mm -hmm. Um, And the personalistic norm is what, love? You always say it much better than I do.
1: Well, it, you know, it has to do with, um, means versus ends, you know, to put it kind of in plain talk, every, plain talk. I, I think so. Okay, like, so, you know, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's like Bowman house, plain talk. Okay. <laughs> but like,
1: like street talk. <laughs> well, so every, every human being has an innate dignity, right? And, and therefore they cannot be used. You know, right. they, they cannot be seen as a means to an end. I mean, I think we all know how, ba- how like. bad it feels to be used, mm-hmm. you know, by someone else. And so, you know, you, I would hope you would reflect on that and realize, like, I cannot use somebody in any way. And sometimes those ways are very subtle, um, you know, for my own gain. And, you know, if you... Hmm, even if you're loving somebody in order to get something from them, like you're being nice to them, right? But it's only to get something in return. That's not treating them as an end in themselves. That's not right. treating them with the dignity that they deserve by virtue of the fact that they are a person. A person, right? right. So, um, so yeah. they're not a tool for you to use. They're um, a means to an end. Which this is such a beautiful teaching, uh, because it says something about the human person. The fact that we can even understand the truth that a, that a human being is not meant to be used right. says something about our very nature. Um, and you know, we've talked about the fact that by nature, man, just like God, is relational. Right, right, and so we only discover ourselves in relation to the other mm-hmm.
0: um, and so the personalistic norm really is just about treating each person as a person right and that therefore the only way to communicate with them is is through love. There's no other way to treat another person other than by love and so um, There's lots of ways to go around that if you really want to read about it. There's a couple of books. Um, Love and Responsibility is all around the personalistic norm, especially within the conjugal act, especially in relation to um, marriage. And the very last part talks about vocations. Um, There's also a really great book by JP, Two called The Irreducibility in Man, which is a great book. And then um, on my Facebook page, I will post a link to a Wall Street Journals article Mm. that was posted not too long ago that kind of defined personalistic norm and did it so well. It was really beautiful. And also to read it in the Wall Street Journal was pretty amazing. Um, So I will post that as well. But all of that being said, what does this really have to do with marriage? And what that has to do with marriage is that marriage is where you can, you really practice the personalistic norm, um, as a choice, you know, you should do that every day with every person that you meet, but there's also a great responsibility when that person is your spouse. Right. And especially when you sacramentally become one with them, because you're doing exactly what St. Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians, that you're going to treat that person as you would treat yourself, you know? So whatever Jason thinks of me, you know, today we were actually at our permanent diaconate formation and one of the classes that we were in um, we were asked, you know, what do you look for in a spouse? It was kind of an odd question because everyone in the room has a spouse, but what were you looking for in a spouse when you were searching? So everyone of course shouted out answers and, um, <clears throat> Deacon Joe was like, well, think about whether or not you can live up to that. Like those same things that you look for in a spouse, do you practice those same things in yourself? Right. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah, so particularly within the spousal relationship, when the personalistic norm is realized, and especially within the conjugal act, that's sort of like the closest that you can get to man imaging the total gift of self that is found within the Trinity, right? Within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are always you know, um, pouring themselves out for one another, or I would should say the Father to the Son, the Son uh, in return to the Father. So, you know, you have this beautiful image within God's creation of man and, <coughs> man and woman uh, giving themselves completely to one another in love, which, as you said, is, is the only way to really um, uh, treat another human being and it be to the level of dignity that is their due by virtue of the fact that they're a person. And so um, so one thing that is a challenge within marriage that we wanted to bring up is that, you know, it's very easy to see another person as a means to an end, you know, even within marriage, even when you're both seeking holiness You know, and that's what... And that's not even... I mean,
0: that's also in relation to the conjugal act. Right. Using a person for physicality and for their body for that kind of affection. But it also can be the other things. Like, you open up your fridge and you're like, Oh, she forgot to make such and such for me yesterday. Or I get up and I'm like, Gosh, Jason didn't take out the trash, you know? So those are very, obviously, very minute things. But if those become the only manner in which you see your spouse then you no longer view them as a person, but you view them as someone that you use and some someone that helps you check off things on your list. Right. You know? And so it, it becomes an, a thing where you're not really even loving the person anymore mm-hmm. as much as you are using the person. Right. Um, and so it's such an, a funny thing because Jason and I have only been married for 10, almost 10 years. I always forget like every five seconds how long we've been married. Um but we've been married for 10 years and, I mean, we, I deeply love him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're pretty happy, we are. you know, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and in the small scheme of things, we are pretty happy. So, um, and we have four kids that are really a lot of fun and sometimes challenging. Um, we've been through quite a bit, you know, in the 10 years of our marriage, but yeah. it has been amazing. And we always attribute it to the fact that we understand that we love God first and that through him, we've been able to find out what the personalistic norm is, what the dignity of the human person is. Not just, you know, when we say that we are pro-life, that really encompasses everything from, from the beginning of life, from natural conception till natural death. But it also encompasses how you treat people. You know, you cannot be pro-life and treat your neighbor as an enemy. It doesn't work that way. Right. And so Jason, in the way that we treat each other, it has to also bespeak that same philosophy of life, that I'm going to love him and I'm going to treat him as a person at all times. Um, and so... The thing about our vocation to marriage and the thing that draws us closer to God is this ability to, by grace, to trust Him in His providence that this is a marriage that has been ordained by God and that I entrust myself to my husband who entrusts himself to God. And, you know, like that we've talked about it in our previous podcast, but that in Ephesians 5, when it talks about women submit to your husband, that that really means to be on the same mission with, submissionis, to be on the same mission with. So we are on the same mission of hopefully becoming saints. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So any last thoughts on marriage? It's a great segue with the last couple of minutes that we have to share with you that the next one will be on parenting. And so a big part of that is the fact that, you have to always be open to life. Right. You know, the conjugal act is—you'll—you'll you'll hear um, if you ever get into any of the information that comes along with marriage prep, or you start to read love and responsibility, that the conjugal act must always be
1: open, open to life.
0: Open to life. Um, it's unitive and procreative, so it brings two people together and also allows the opportunity for life to happen. And so, in our next podcast, we're going to talk about. What parenting means for us, the challenges that we've had along the way, and then we'll also probably talk about our kids. So thank you guys so thank much you. for listening, for watching, and for following us. I hope you have a great day and God bless you. God bless you all.